Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello, gardening friends. Welcome to Plow and Hose. Here I am in my little studio recording from my sweet town, Taylor, Texas. Normally, I like to start the show off and talk about, you know, things that are going on in my backyard, but the weather is not very kind. It's dumb and cold again, and I am very frustrated because I have a counter full of tomato seedlings and a few other things that are ready to go outside and want to be planted, and I'm super frustrated by this weather right now. You can check with my parents, you can ask my family, they will confirm that I've never been a patient person and waiting for real spring temperatures has been kind of torturous. You know, here we are so close to being officially spring according to the calendar and it's cold again. Texas spring is usually about three weeks before calendar spring and I think it sucks and I am just really really anxious to get my plants in the ground and get them growing and finally have some decent weather. I am actually starting to think that this might be the universe's way of telling me that I just need to freaking relax and chill out. But it's so disappointing because I was actually ahead of the game this year and ready to plant. And oh my God, looks like that went against me. But anyway, it's a a good reminder that everything happens exactly when it's supposed to. And there's no sense in getting upset for stuff that you can't control around my yard. Most of my fruit trees have started to put on buds and unfortunately only time will tell if I get any fruit this year. The peach, peaches and nectarine and apricot trees all have buds, but they hadn't blossomed before this most recent cold snap. Freezing temperatures um, aren't great for budding fruit trees. It can impact blossom and fruit development. So I would not be surprised if I don't get any um, fruit from those trees this year. I mean, who knows? We might actually get some. I'm not a fruit scientist. So I'm just going to consider myself lucky if I happen to get some fruit this year. Now that said, I do have a Mexican plum tree that is so pretty right now. In spite of the freezing temperatures, it's totally covered in these cute little white flowers that have just the softest, sweetest smell right now. I'm, it's really amazing that this tree is doing so well after having the freeze that we've had the past couple of nights. 
Even though they are called Mexican plums, they are native to Texas and they do really well in Taylor and all over central Texas. They are considered a small ornamental understory tree, so they can tolerate a bit of shade. But if you want fruit from them, they do need a decent amount of sun, like six to eight hours a day. Just like a lot of native fruit trees, they put out small little fruits like nickel size plums. The plums are just tiny little things, but they are tasty even if they tend to have more pit than fruit. Mexican plums get to be 15 to 20 feet tall and about the same size wide. So at max, maybe 20 by 20. And with very little to no shaping, you can have a really pretty little flowering tree that looks nice all year round. And the bonus is, is that you get fruit. Native trees and plants really are hard to beat. Natives are adapted to our tough Texas climate and to our soils. And when we get extreme conditions like extra hot summers or brutal freezes like we did in 2021, natives stand out. They do great. They do better than the more delicate plants and trees and even some of the grasses. March is undoubtedly the best time of the year for vegetable gardening in Central Texas because there is just a ton that we can plant right now. We can plant Asian greens, basil, beans, beets, cantaloupe, chives, chard, corn, cucumbers, eggplants, other greens, mint or oregano, peppers, pumpkin, radishes, winter and summer squash, and of course, tomatoes. And we can plant most of these from seeds now through the end of March. Hopefully the weather is going to settle down after this cold front and we can get things in the ground and feel confident that we are done with this bullshit cold nonsense. I'm tired of it. (laughs) Anyway, when planting seeds, large hard seeds benefit from soaking 12 to 24 hours before you plant them. Any large seeds that have a thick hard seed coat really benefit from soaking overnight. If you soak large hard seeds like beans and peas overnight in a dishwater, your seeds can germinate and sprout faster. Rehydrating your seeds can really shorten the germination length. The larger the seed, the more they benefit from soaking. Seeds like the cucurbits, those are the squashes and melons, cucumbers, and also legumes, peas and beans, they tend to do better if you rehydrate them before planting. Soaking seeds helps them because the water softens the seed coat or that thick shell that protects them during dormancy. The seeds use the moisture to kind of activate and then they start pushing out new growth. Soaking seeds mimics nature, just like um, a nice spring rain. If you can use rainwater to soak your seeds, use that. Rainwater is great because it's, it's pretty clean and pure because rainwater doesn't contain salts, minerals, and chlorine or other treatment plant chemicals like tap water and groundwater or well water have. Filtered water is also a good um, option to use, but 
you know, you can also just leave a pitcher of tap water out for a day or two. And a lot of those um, chemicals will dissipate. Smaller seeds and those with a thinner seed coat, they don't have to soak as long as the bigger seeds. It's best to get your soaked seeds planted within like 24 hours. But, you know, if something comes up and you can't get them in the ground within that window, most of the time, <clears throat> you know, just change the soaking water. Um, you know, just rinse them off and then add fresh water and then plant them when you get a chance. And hopefully, you know, it's in the next day or so. Once you plant them, be sure to keep the soil moist for the first few weeks. New baby plants are tender, and if they dry out, chances are they're going to die. Once they grow a little bit and get their roots established, then you can back off on the watering and not water as often. But when they're little, you really need to try to keep the soil consistently moist. For those who are new to vegetable garden or maybe looking to do something different this spring, let's go ahead and talk about the two basic types of outdoor gardening, in-ground gardening and above-ground gardening, which is just growing in raised beds or containers. In-ground gardening is great once you get your beds prepared it's less expensive since you don't have to buy containers and soil or materials to rate, um, to build a raised bed. You'll want to amend the soil each growing season just to help improve the soil health and improve drainage. In-ground gardening can also be a little more challenging um, to keep any surrounding turf grasses out of your bed you'll likely want to have some edging or barrier to help that grass from creeping into your nice amended soil. Your plants will be low to the ground because you planted directly into the ground, and that might make harvesting a little more difficult, um, especially if you have any mobility issues. You may want to consider elevating your plants by putting in raised beds or containers for your veggies and specialty plants that may have different needs. Raised beds are nice if you want your plants up off the ground so you aren't bending over as much or on your knees weeding and planting. The downside is is that they are more expensive to start because you have to use wood or landscape blocks or some other material to build your raised bed and then you've got to fill it with good soil and you got to do this all before you even start planting. But think of it as an investment in your new gardening hobby and all the joy that you'll get spending time outside tending to your plants and harvesting all kinds of super fresh foods right from your own backyard. Your raised beds don't have to be super fancy. They don't have to be custom built. They don't have to be Instagram worthy. They just need to contain quality soil for your plants. Here at my house, we used cinder blocks for our raised veggie beds, and they've been here probably 15 years. I'm really not all that crazy about the way they look. Now that the beds have been there for a whole bunch of years, they've really held up, 
and I can't complain about how ugly they are, really. They have served us very, very well. Raised beds are great because you control what's in the soil. You're starting from scratch, and you can adjust the content much more easily than in-ground gardening. You can buy bagged or bulk raised bed mix and just fill the raised beds with that, or you can make your own blend. Mixing your own raised bed mix, you'll have um, more control of what's in your bed, but it's not going to save you a lot of money. If you want to mix your own soil, that's great because you know exactly what you put in it. And if for some reason you have a problem, you know what you put in it and you can research how to address and correct soil issues for Central Texas. A good formula for a do-it-yourself raised bed mix is 50% topsoil, 40% compost, and 10% soilless growing mix that has like peat moss, core fiber, bark, sand, perlite, vermiculite. The topsoil can just be the cheap stuff. Your compost is going to enrich the topsoil and those other soil amendments are going to help keep your raised bed mix light and airy and it's also going to improve water retention and drainage. Raised bed mix also works for most of your container grown plants. Now cacti and succulents have different soil needs so if you're planting those in pots you'll need a slightly different soil for those plants. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page or the Instagram and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, go over there and download some episodes and please leave a review. It's just super quick. Click on those stars, leave a quick little um, comment if you'd like. It's going to help others find the show and it lets people know that Plow and Hose is a pretty good show. And if you've already left a review, thank you so, so very much. I, I love those comments. Well, springtime in Texas is my absolute favorite time of the year. Our wildflowers are going to be blooming here pretty soon. And Overall, it's just a nice time of the year with nature coming back to life in a really big way. I am so looking forward to consistently warm and pleasant days with the sunshine and the warmth, plus all the things starting to bud and green up. There are lots of folks thinking things like, I am going to start a garden this year, and I absolutely love that. I think everybody should try to cultivate some plants, either for food or for beauty or just for the challenge of it. If you are wanting to add a raised bed this year or help someone with their gardening goals, let's do it. Let's let's put in a new bed. Now, there are just a few more considerations for starting a new bed mainly revolving around placement. 
Will your new bed get enough sunlight for what you want to grow? And is it convenient to your water source? Everything else is adjustable and flexible and completely fixable. Veggie plants need six to eight hours of direct sunlight. Even if the space you select is too sunny, it gets more than eight hours, you can always erect some sort of afternoon shade. Everything benefits from afternoon shade, but you are going to struggle if it doesn't get enough sunlight. Um, you just can't really add more sunlight if it's not there. So site selection is really important. Access to water is also a really important concern. You can adapt by adding hose extensions um, and making it easier to water. But honestly, the closer your beds are to the water, the easier gardening is going to be. The more convenient your new bed is for you, the more successful you will be. And this is especially true if you are helping a new gardener set up their first bed. There is so much to be said for proximity and convenience for pretty much everything in our lives, and it really does hold true for gardening as well. Once you have your location in mind, it's just a matter of deciding size and framing material for your raised bed. So if you want to frame your bed with wood or landscape blocks or even straw bales, it's totally up to you. And... All you got to do is then fill your raised bed. You want to decide if you're going to scalp the grass in the bottom of your bed or if you want to just smother it with a barrier like landscape fabric or layers of cardboard or cement board or anything that's going to prevent invasive turf grasses from growing up through your bed. Bermuda grass is really, really aggressive and it's hard to control. If you have Bermuda grass in the spot where you want to install a new raised bed, you really might want to seriously consider scalping the grass and adding a barrier. Bermuda grass is awful and it can quickly take over a flower bed or take root in a new raised bed. Once you have your border or edging and framing in place, then you're just ready to fill your new bed with soil. For in-ground planting, plant selection is really important and that's where planting natives and adaptives can improve your chances of success. Perennial plants are those that come back every year. They can be flowers or vegetables. They grow flower and set seed or fruit, but then they go dormant the tops of the plants may die back to the ground in the winter, but the roots will still be alive and will come back next spring. Most of our drought-tolerant native landscaping flowers are perennials. Wildflowers and vegetables are generally annuals. They grow flower, set seed, or fruit in one growing season, and then they die completely. There are a few perennial vegetables like asparagus and artichokes. You put them in your veggie beds and leave them to grow year after year. But for most of the produce we want to grow, like tomatoes, corn, beans, squash, those are all annuals. No matter what type of plants you want to grow, perennials or annuals, if you do your research on what grows best in our area, you'll have a much more carefree garden. One 
a garden that doesn't demand as much water or nutrients or require special growing conditions like extra afternoon shade or a greenhouse. Luckily for us here in Central Texas and in the Austin area, plant selection is actually pretty easy because we have so many wonderful local independent nurseries like Taylor Garden Center that specialize in native and adaptive plants. Local places select plants and seeds that can handle our soil conditions and our climate. There's also tons of online resources like personal blogs and, of course, county extension offices that have specific information on plant varieties that do best in our soil and our zone. Our zone is 8B. For flowering plants and trees, the Ladybird Wildflower John. Ladybird Johnson Wildflower Center has a great website dedicated to natives. If you are like me when you're out shopping for plants, um, I always manage to pick up some extra four inch pots of herbs to include in my garden. I love cooking with fresh herbs. They always add just a wonderful brightness and they can elevate a dish through fragrance and flavor that Dried herbs and spices just can't. They can also transform simple drinks into complex and sophisticated beverages. Basil, oregano, rosemary, thyme, cilantro, parsley, and mint are considered essentials for most folks. All these herbs will be great for cooking and they grow well here in Central Texas. And they are also easy to grow. But just because they are all culinary herbs, that doesn't mean they grow all the same. And taking a little time to learn about the herbs you enjoy and you want to grow is going to save you some heartache and annoyance. And by that, I mean I am specifically talking about cilantro. (laughs) I love cilantro. I use it all the time in like Tex-Mex and Mexican and Asian-inspired meals, but I I don't grow it at home, Um, mainly because cilantro is a cool season annual and I don't, I forget to plant it um, in the fall. For us here in Central Texas, cilantro needs to be planted in the fall. It loves the cool weather and it grows and grows while the temperatures are under 75 degrees. Once the days start to warm up and stay warm for the good part of the day, cilantro slows down and stops growing. Once daytime temperatures get into the 80s, cilantro shuts down and it starts to bolt. When the weather warms up in the late springtime, kind of that pre-summer time, cilantro will get a growth spurt. It starts feeling that the warmer temperatures and it's like, okay, it's starting to get warm and it's going to be hot soon. So I need to get busy putting on some flowers, and making seeds. When they bolt, they grow a flower stalk really fast, and you'll notice the new growth will not look like the cute little flat cilantro leaves that we are used to. Cilantro is trying to make flowers so it can reproduce and make seeds, and it does not have time to keep making leaves. When the flower head start to, starts to poke up, it's going to have different leaves. 
the leaves are a lot more delicate looking. They're ferny and feathery, more like um, fennel and dill. This is just how it goes. It just gets too warm for cilantro. So if you are hoping to harvest cilantro with your tomatoes and peppers so you can make salsa later in the summer, it's not going to work out. That's not to say that you can't or you shouldn't buy a cilantro plant now. Just don't expect to have cilantro when your peppers and tomatoes come in. When you are out shopping in the garden centers this spring, you'll likely see cilantro plants for sale out with the other herbs right now. I don't want to discourage you from buying one, especially if you're shopping at a local independent nursery. Just know that it may not last as long as you would like. For me, cilantro is a grocery store purchase during the warm season. Now, there is an upside to having a cilantro plant that bolts and sets seeds when the temperatures warm up, and that's because the seeds are dual purpose. You can save some for planting later in the year, like in October when you're supposed to plant them, but you can also save some for your spice rack because cilantro seeds are also called coriander. Coriander seeds taste and smell completely different than cilantro leaves. Cilantro leaves are distinctly vegetal. They're fresh. It's kind of earthy. It's a little citrusy. But the seeds, coriander, have a different flavor profile to me. Um, they are warm, a little spicy, and they have a very distinct citrus flavor. So if you do get a cilantro plant that goes to seeds, collect them. You can plant some in the fall and also use some in the kitchen. Oregano is another favorite herb of mine. It's a member of the mint family, and while it doesn't have a distinct minty smell or flavor, it grows exactly the same. Both mint and oregano are small-leafed plants that are low-growing and spread by rhizomes. Rhizomes are stems that grow just beneath the surface. They are stems that grow horizontally, and then they send up sprouts um, adjacent to the main plant. Um, rhizomes are also called runners, and when a plant is happy and healthy in its environment, it will send out runners in all directions. And this sometimes seems like pretty aggressive growth. Bermuda grass spreads this way too. Plants that grow and spread with rhizomes um, can seem like they're taking over. They most definitely can take over a small bed, but they're really pretty easy to keep in check. All you gotta do is pull up the runners and as they start to encroach in the areas you don't want them. Oregano runners are really pretty awesome because you can separate the runners and then use them to make new oregano plants. All you gotta do is separate them, bury the rhizome in a separate location or in a pot, keep them moist and warm and they will root. This is a really great way. If you like to share plants with other people, oregano is pretty cool that way. Oregano is closely associated with Mediterranean cuisine, Greek, Turkish, 
Italian, Middle Eastern, all these types rely heavily on oregano. In concentrated forms like distilled essential oils, um, those can have some minor antiseptic and antibiotic properties. In regular plant form, they are perfect for adding to foods. Oregano pairs well with tomatoes, lentils, and other legumes. It goes well with chicken and fish, and it's <clears throat> kind of the essential herb for pizza sauce. Oregano is a key herb in Zatar seasonings, which is a very delicious blend of oregano, sumac, sesame seeds, and thyme. Our family really enjoys Zatar, and I think it's really delicious um, with flatbread. Oregano grows really well for us here in Central Texas. We have a very similar climate to the Mediterranean, which also has long, warm season growing season. There are lots of different cultivars available in our area. All of them should do well for you once they get established. Oregano needs full sun, but like most plants, it benefits from afternoon shade and regular irrigation. Oregano is a perennial plant and during warmer winters, it will stay green year round. It can get out of control if you let it, but if you are out in your garden every day, then you can pull up runners when they spread too much. Oregano will send out flower heads, but you're gonna wanna snip them off if you don't want them to set seed. When you are looking for a new oregano variety, Gently rub the leaves between your fingers and give it a good sniff. If it smells like something you want to eat, then that's probably going to be one that's going to taste good to you. You could even do a little taste test before you buy it if you carefully pinch off a small little leaf and pop in your mouth and see if it is one that you would like. Thank you for joining me today. I sure do enjoy talking about plants like herbs. And if you missed any recent shows, you can always find them on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to learn more about basil, check out episode 54 of the Plow and Hose podcast from February 20th of 2021. This show, um, I talk a whole bunch about basil in the last portion of the episode. Have a great week. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.